Yeah, the reading today is from Matthew fifteen twenty nine through to sixteen twelve uh, on page eight twenty one. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have seen with me now have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way and the disciples said to him where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd and Jesus said to them how many loaves do you have they said seven and a few small fish and directing the crowd to sit on the ground he took the seven loaves and the fish and having given thanks he broke them and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over those who ate were four thousand men besides women and children and after sending away the crowds he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan and the Pharisees and Sadducees came and to test him they asked him to show them a sign from heaven he answered them when it is evening you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red and in the morning it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky but you cannot interpret the signs of the times an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign but no sign will be given to it except the sign of jonah so he left them and departed when the disciples reached the other side they had forgotten to bring any bread jesus said to them Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves and the five thousand? And how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand, and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. I feel like there's a lot of rinse and repeat in Matthew's Gospel, as if we need to be told things over and over. 
I mean, that uh, first paragraph that we just read there from chapter 15 and verse 29, where, where Jesus heals all the great crowds who had come to him, that happened before. That happened right back at the start of Jesus' public ministry, if you remember, when we were way back in chapter 4. Uh, from verse 23, I'll read a little to you. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. This has happened before, and it happened too, if you recall, in chapter 8, when we were there. Uh, Jesus entered Peter's house, and when he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever, uh, he, touched her with her, he touched her hand, and the, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick." This has happened before, and more recently, in fact, we only just saw it. Rinse and repeat, we just saw this in chapter 14. When they'd crossed over the sea, uh, 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 if you recall, they crossed over, they came to land uh, at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognised him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. And we would think three times would have been enough, but no, here it is again as we've just read in chapter 15. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute and many others and they put them at his feet and he healed them. Rinse and repeat. Isn't it? Jesus just had a way of going about his ministry, it seems. Uh, so too, the other miraculous sign that follows on from there is also a rinse and repeat, if you drop down to verse 32, where, where Jesus had compassion on those great crowds and, and he feeds them all from just a little bit of bread. We literally just saw this in chapter 14, just a couple of weeks ago we were there. It's still there on the facing page if you're in these church Bibles. Uh, how could we possibly forget that miracle? But here it is again in chapter 15. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit on the ground, he, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. 
We just read that, that, that whole event, that, that miraculous sign and, and much of the language used through that paragraph there even, that the desolate place and the questions that God asked and, and directing the crowds to sit down on the ground and the giving of thanks and the breaking of bread and the giving it to the disciples and them handing it out and the collecting it up in the basket, all of that even in the language is, is just like what only just happened in chapter 14. It's a different region now, mind you, uh, so even more people have now received of that same wondrous sign that Jesus has already given. Who knows how many times Jesus might have done these kinds of different things beyond what Matthew's recorded in this gospel here. Uh, but at any rate, Jesus didn't just come and tell us and show things to us once or, or to just one group of people. And so today, here we are. We work through a fairly familiar story, if you think about it, in Matthew. Great crowds are flocking to Jesus and bringing all their sick. And, and as has happened on at least a couple of occasions now, they all get healed and they all get a really good feed too. And like last time we looked at that miracle, we're, we're, we're explicitly told now, we're talking thousands and thousands when it says great crowd. We might wonder, as we think about that, why so many people, thousands and thousands, were coming to Jesus like so. And, and, that it, and that it ran across cultures too in these repeated accounts that I just skimmed through before. The great crowds have been drawing in people from the Decapolis and Syria, Gentile regions, and from Judea and Galilee. And so, so something about Jesus is crossing over borders and, and it's crossing from Jew to Gentile too. Why are they all coming? Thousands and thousands. What is it in Jesus that these people are seeking? Could it simply be that he's got a reputation for healing? I mean, that would be pretty compelling. If you give that some thought, that would be very compelling a reason, wouldn't it? Most of us have probably got something that we wouldn't mind healed, maybe two or three things. Uh, and imagine if a guy suddenly showed up who could heal it for us. And, and no matter what it was, he could heal it. He healed everyone of everything from everywhere, this guy. And, and instantly... And for free. Could it be also that they knew of his gospel? The message that he'd been preaching that went with this miracle ministry. Recall uh, when we were back in chapter 4 and verse 17, Matthew gave us that preaching message that Jesus had. He gave it to us as clear as a bell. And it was right before that first great healing in all the big crowds, mind you, that I read before. Before that, Matthew told us before Jesus' great signs that from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So why did the crowds come to Jesus? Uh, well, in a way, we just can't know, can we? It's not given to us here. we just got to read between the lines. But, but perhaps they have heard his message. Or at least they're cottoning on to the second part of what he says, that, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Think about all these wondrous things. They know that it is of, of heaven. It's, it's there in verse 32 uh, and verse 31 even. The, the crowd wondered at this. They wondered when they saw the mute speaking and the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing 
and they glorified the God of Israel. They know this is somehow of heaven. They're drawn to the wondrous signs that Jesus is doing, things that must be of God, and they want to receive everything of it that they can receive. Verse 32 says they had been with him three days without food. The next part of the story unfolds. They want to take in as much of this glory and wonder of heaven while Jesus is around. So why do the crowds keep coming to Jesus? Well, it's something around that, isn't it? To receive wonders of heaven, I reckon, whether they can articulate it that well or not, who knows. I think we can probably say, though, that they've got some kind of fix on the second part of Jesus' preaching message. The kingdom of heaven, in some way, is at hand. There's not so much given away, though, as to, as to where they're at with the first part of Jesus' message, the, the repent side of his call. Uh, so seeing the signs of, of heaven having come near, did, did they therefore repent, as, as Jesus was calling to? Uh, well, that's just suspense, isn't it? We don't, we don't get to see that much here about these crowds. But I think we might suppose that, you know, the, the longer that, that the second part sinks in, that the more they might slowly realise their need for the first part of what Jesus had to say, because if because if Jesus has brought something of heaven so close, then, then it's only a matter of time, really, before we should start to feel our insignificance, feel our uncleanness as well. If he brings people to the point of glorifying the God of Israel, verse 31, then so too he brings them face to face with what the God of Israel had many, many times said on this matter. For example, Ezekiel 18, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Isaiah chapter 1, Zion shall be redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent by righteousness but rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. Psalm 7. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. Surely Jesus is giving all these wonders so as to bring people into repentance before this God, so, so that they can receive not just one-off signs from heaven in, in this life, but, but, but receive heaven itself in the end. The crowds we might think, are, I don't know, but at least halfway on board you, you would think. What about the Pharisees and the Sadducees as we come into chapter 16? What, what, what are they doing? Why are they coming to Jesus, we should also ask. Apart from the Sadducee thing, uh, this next part is a rinse and repeat too, by the way. We've already seen this kind of exchange encounter with Jesus a few times over by now. But, but yes, the Sadducees are involved this time, so maybe a short note on them. They were another Jewish sect in that day. Uh, smaller in number they were than the Pharisees, but if anything, with quite a bit more power because it was to the Sadducee party that the priesthood of the nation uh, at this point in time belonged. And also they were the group who were, who were closer in with Rome. 
the Pharisees, by way of reminder, uh, were the hyper-religious group. Do you remember? The, the guys who had no end of, of all these little laws, these rules and regulations they'd invented. But we thought about them last week. That the Sadducees, on the other hand, only really wanted to hold on to the law of God, but only when it supported their cause to hold on to the priesthood. And a very sad priesthood it had become by this day. For the Sadducees at this point had, had no belief at all in the very idea of heaven that Jesus was going around preaching. The two groups were rivals, mind you, uh, but under Roman occupation, well, they just had to get along in Jesus' day. And here they come together to see Jesus in Matthew 16. And why, I think we should ask, why did these men come to Jesus? To test him, it says in black and white, chapter 16 and verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. What kind of test is that? These men too, it would seem, have heard that gospel that Jesus has been speaking. Again, chapter 4, verse 17, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Show us then a sign from heaven, they say. Which is really a way of saying, We don't believe you on this kingdom of heaven being near thing, Jesus. Or perhaps a way of saying, we don't want to repent. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near and the Pharisees and Sadducees come and say, no, don't think so, mate. And of course the great irony here is that they just missed two great signs from heaven. The crowds who had come were glorifying the God of Israel, it says, at all those wondrous healings he did. And then 4,000 men, plus women, plus children, ate all of them and were satisfied, all of them, from just a few loaves of bread. Jesus doesn't give these guys now a sign from heaven, although obviously by this point in Matthew's Gospel, he could have. He could have, of course. He had compassion on the crowds, it said, and they got to see. But he has no compassion now on, on these men here. What's the difference? What's the difference there? Well, why shouldn't these men get to see? Well, because there seems to be a difference in the motive of why these men have come. And if it is to do with that basic gospel call that Jesus has been preaching, uh, then their motive in coming is to reject Jesus so as to refuse repentance. And they may have come to see Jesus, but that, they don't truly want to see. Jesus can see straight through them in verse 2. He answered them, uh, When it is evening, uh, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And to Jesus, their motives are clear. Verse 4, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. 
but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. By adulterous, he means they have been unfaithful to God, which is very strong language for men who were seen as the embodiment of religion in the nation in that day. Evil and unfaithful men they were, Jesus does say. And Jesus keeps walking away from from people with rock-hard hearts who who only come and and want to reject him uh, when they come to him. Have you noticed that? There's so much withdrew language and departed language running through this gospel. And he warns these unfaithful and and evil men here uh, as he goes that they're only going to see the sign of Jonah. And if that sounds a bit familiar, that's because this part too is a rinse and repeat. Jesus already issued this exact warning back in chapter 12. Uh, I'll read a little to you. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees, it was that time, chapter 12, verse 38, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. He goes on in that version, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he goes on even further. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. It's no good wanting to see signs of heaven if we won't take the first part of Jesus' message. We, we must repent if the kingdom of heaven is near. And Jesus seems to know when hearts are just rock hard and, and set against that call. Uh, these men are coming to him, but, but only to reject what he has been saying. What about these disciples as we turn over the page? And why, we might actually ask, why did they forget to bring bread when they set out again? I mean, when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. All those baskets full of bread after those two miracles and and they've suddenly forgotten about bread? And yet uh, they can only think about bread when Jesus mentions This leaven here in verse 6, Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing among themselves, saying, "Uh, We brought no bread. Why would they think Jesus is warning them about forgetting to bring bread on their ministry journey? Jesus can make bread out of nothing. But Jesus, aware of this, verse 8, said, O you of little faith, why why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Since Jesus sets it up for us, we might as well go and answer those questions, a little refresher. Twelve baskets it was that were gathered up from the 5,000 men. 
and seven baskets from the 4,000 men. Five loaves, 5,000 men and 12 baskets and then it was uh, seven loaves and 4,000 men and, and seven baskets. But I don't think Jesus wants us to kind of compare the numbers like that. Not in a horizontal sense like that anyway, but, but yeah, in the vertical sense for sure. The, the miracles that he did, had it, he brought bread out of nowhere. Why would he now suddenly be worried about bread? Uh, and how did they already forget those two great signs is the bigger question. Why would he be asking uh, about the Sadducees and the Pharisees in terms of bread is probably another good question. Like, were they bakers or something? Like, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, he says again in verse 11. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus wants those who are following him, the disciples are following him, he wants them to beware of the dangerous teachings of, of evil and unfaithful people, who, just so we don't lose sight of this point, who may well be the key religious figures of the day. What teachings is he talking about here then? Well, both parties have the, uh, the pretense of religion about them. The one group is, is suffocating God's word, though, with their own little laws, and the other is just picking and choosing from what God says only when it suits their cause. Neither group would have identified as being in, in any way defective or anything, let alone sinful or in need of any change. And so they both have come to Jesus to test him about some sign, to find some grounds to reject him and, and ignore the call of his ministry to repent. Uh, both groups think they are fine, just as they are. They, they think they are just fine. They are righteous already in themselves. Why would they need forgiveness from God? That doesn't make sense. Why, therefore, should they repent? That doesn't make Beware, Jesus says, watch and beware the teachings of such men. Leaven, by the way, was a pretty good metaphor for Jesus to use here, I reckon, despite the confusion that it led to with the bread. Uh, but leaven is the yeast that makes bread rise. That's why the confusion came. And just a little bit of leaven, uh, smaller than we might even notice or see, puffs up a whole loaf of bread. And just a little of these teachings from, from unbroken, uh, self-righteous men can, can get into us and, and infect our, our whole life of faith. In other words, uh, we can't afford to let any of these teachings or, or any of these teachers in. Don't worry about not having bread, Jesus says. The real dangers around you as you follow me are those who would take your eyes off me and the kingdom of heaven. Good thing we don't have Pharisees and Sadducees these days, isn't it? Or do we? Actually, we do. And, and we have all kinds of preachers of, of self-righteousness these days, including those who would push on us no end of their own religious laws and customs, like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, including those two who, who don't actually, when push comes to shove, believe in the idea of heaven, like the Sadducees of Jesus' day, and many, many other kinds of self-righteous preachers too. And yet all of them, who may nevertheless float around the edges with Jesus now and then, if only to undermine his gospel 
and subtly draw us instead into their way of thought and their way of life. Beware, Jesus says. And we do need to be careful of this, friends. Many are running headlong and wide-eyed into listening to the teachings of unsaved men. They're drawn into these teachings. They're drawn to the books and the YouTubes and the podcasts and blogs. And and I can't help but wonder if those teachers haven't become very clever on this, that that if they just come across, you know, just religiously enough, if even talking about God and the Bible and Jesus and faith, sure, let's talk about that. They can captivate Christians no end. And their sales go up and their influence too. And I can see why they do what they do. But if they have not come to Jesus in repentance and faith according to his gospel, then I just, you know, what I can't understand is why so many Christians are flocking to them. It doesn't compute, giving more time to their modern self-righteous wisdom than to what Jesus has said. And what would Jesus say to us about such unsaved men? Watch and beware. Watch and beware. Don't even let a little bit of their their various false gospels of self-righteousness sneak in because even a little of their teaching can get in and puff up your faith. I know, I know, we aren't so weak as to fall into this and be waylaid what Jesus is warning us here. Uh, And I know, I know, if we we listen, we we can learn how to better put the gospel to our culture if we just listen in to, to the kind of ways that they think and what they say. But... But so too I know what Jesus did warn us here of Matthew 16. But beware, beware the subtle but insidious teachings of of impenitent and self-righteous men. They're everywhere these days. More broadly, we ought to think back across the whole of this text today, I think, as as to all three of these groups here following Jesus. They've come to Jesus. What for? Jesus is there. So the disciples, the great crowds, the unfaithful, evil men. What should we think about all three groups of people? We should take it all as a check on our own motives, I would say. Why did we come to Jesus is probably a good final question for the day. Did we come to Jesus to accept his teaching or or to reject what he has to say? Plenty of people still hang around Jesus, but at the end of the day, they're still denying the gospel that he proclaimed. If we are self-righteous, we have no need to repent. Have we been wowed like the the crowds here by by his offer of heaven and, and yet maybe not really fully thought through the other part of what that entails, that that repentance is required if people like you and I are to receive heaven. Many people today are thinking that. Even churches have kind of heard but maybe are stuck in that the one part of what Jesus says about all this, that they're celebrating the the kingdom of heaven idea, that that they're enjoying the wonders of his blessings, but kind of only for the needs of today. And, and And they actually give very little air time to the need for repentance that he proclaimed. Maybe we are following Jesus in in true penitent faith, but like the disciples here, we we too as disciples still still get distracted a bit too easily by by just the physical kind of needs in life, you know, like the bread. 
Do our minds need lifting and refixing on the true journey, the true prize at the end of this journey of heaven that Jesus has opened up for us and the serious perils, therefore, that surround us along the way? Lots of people keep coming to Jesus. They keep coming to Jesus today. But sooner or later, we all have to, to figure out where we stand on, on what he did say. His most important sermon ever, in my opinion, had only two points and must have taken all of five seconds. From that time, Matthew 4.17, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And everything we've been reading through in this gospel ever since, and all these rinse and repeats, are the outworking of that simple two-point sermon. As, as Jesus keeps walking people into the inevitable decision point that it brings. If we would come into the kingdom of heaven, then we must repent. And if we come into repentance, then then Jesus has opened for us the kingdom of heaven. He himself, by the way, is, is the mechanism that, that binds those two things together, like so. He pointed to it here, actually, when he spoke of the sign of Jonah, because Jesus came to us to die for our sin so that the penalty of our sin against God would be paid and so that we could receive forgiveness from God truly and justly and freely we could be forgiven when we but repent and so that being forgiven we can be received into the kingdom of God. Don't be unsure about whether or why you've come to Jesus. His gospel call is perfectly clear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scripture as always, and we thank you for the words and the warnings of Jesus that he gave, and that we can know uh, that he came to open for us the kingdom of heaven. Thank you for the wonders and the works that he gave us and that he gave for us and that we can know we will be safe if we but repent and follow him. And Lord, we pray that you protect us from the, from the cultural sway around us that's always speaking different messages of, of self-righteousness at the end of the day. Help us to remain in Jesus and in his gospel of repentance unto your sweet forgiveness and the kingdom of heaven. Teach us from your word, we do pray. In Jesus' name, amen.